please rate, review, and subscribe to Dare to Explore wherever you listen to podcasts. Dare to Explore is presented by the Space Camp Explorers Club, a new way to support the U.S. Space and Rocket Center and Space Camp. Members of the Space Camp Explorers Club gain exclusive access to content, behind-the-scenes stories, and members-only swag. To learn more, visit SpaceCampExplorersClub.org. People try to describe it to you, but there, there are parts that you just can't put into words when you're seeing your own planet and passing over places that you have read about or seen images of, but now the image doesn't have an edge, right? Like now the image can just keep going and you can turn your head and it's, it's, it's unfathomable too. Um, it's so beautiful and intense, like the colors are really rich, intense. Um, even the darkness with stars, you know, lighting up, or in our case, we've launched, um, with uh, the crescent moon, a waning crescent, and then we went through the new moon phase and then we had a waxing crescent. And just that crescent moon is, is so vibrant white with dark, like just the darkest of dark behind it. And that just blew me away because it's not the experience that I was having through telescopes or through imagery in a book, um, it's now being lived out and seen with my own eyes. Dorothy Metcalf Lindenberger is a retired high school earth science and astronomy teacher. In 2004, she was selected as an educator mission specialist by NASA and flew on STS-131 Discovery to resupply the International Space Station. She is the first Space Camp alumni to go to space. I'm Ryan Faricelli. Join me as I ask what makes this extraordinary individual dare to explore. I've got a spaceship that I'm waiting for I'm flying up to the stars I'm gonna dare to explore this time And I'll let you know what I find Mostly I grew up along the whole front range of Colorado. I was born in Colorado Springs, but moved progressively northwards from Loveland to Fort Collins. So I was in Fort Collins uh, when I went to space camp. And I was a ninth grader, so it was um, April of 1990. So, yeah. <laughs> Colorado to Huntington, Alabama, is that's a, that's a heck of a trip. Did your parents go with? Yeah. It, no, no, that was a big deal. It was... Um, it was my second flight away from my parents, but my first flight by myself. So the the year before, my middle school teacher took two students out to California to present this project we had worked on in his class where we brought in our food waste and cooked it up in a crock pot and then you add yeast. And essentially, it was a, about a three-month project where you take food waste and turn it into ethanol that ran a lawnmower, his lawnmower. <laughs> and um, it was awesome. It was a really cool project. What made you decide to go to space camp? Now Lockheed Martin, but Martin Marietta was along the front range down in, outside of Denver. 
and they were having a, a writing competition that if you won, you would get an all-expense-paid trip to space camp. Wow. And so I got this application from her, and I was like, oh, yeah, that's awesome. So I sat down and wrote my two essays and submitted them, and I took second place, which got me a free T-shirt from NASA. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was really cool because my parents were um, STEM teachers. My dad was a science middle school teacher for a couple of years before working with Hewlett Packard. And then my mom had been a high school math teacher before becoming mom and, you know, really investing her time with my sister and I and all of our activities and raising us. I, you know, they both were like, well, it's disappointing that you didn't get the all expense paid trip, but we've been saving and um, we will send you, but it has to be during a vacation. Both of them being teachers, they didn't want to take me out of school for uh, for a trip. So they sent me in April of 1990, which of course becomes a bigger deal later, right? So April of 1990 is when Discovery is preparing to take up the Hubble Space Telescope to space. So when I was at space camp, of course, that was part of what we were learning about was this mirror um, and how this whole telescope had been built and why this was such a big deal. And then later, of course, when I become a teacher and it specifically created an astronomy class, I use the images of Hubble to capture my students' curiosity and then to get them to understand the birth of stars, you know, ask all these big questions, the questions that, of course, are what drove us to want to put Hubble into space in the first place and right. continue to want to use it. When you graduated from high school, you went to Whitman College in Washington. Mm -hmm. When I was at space camp, I learned about more about the process of how to work at NASA, which is a big deal for a young person. And um, because we have all these ideas of jobs and but we don't always understand as students like how do you become that what does it entail and so during that week of also you know building and launching rockets and being in simulations and learning about Hubble we are also starting to learn about some of those steps that you need to take to get a career at NASA or to get a career in aerospace right upon graduating from Whitman I um, I had a plan to, to keep on this path of science to get to NASA. I was going to take two years off. I had been accepted to the Peace Corps and um, I was accepted to teach English as a second language in Kazakhstan. During those two years, it let me think about what do I want to specialize in, in a master's and then a PhD. Right. And then I figured I'd work at the Jet Propulsion Laboratory and then, you know, make my way to applying to be an astronaut. But as I've told a lot of people this year in 2020 and 2021, a lot of times we are not in ultimate control of our plans. <laughs> we can make great plans and we can have absolutely awesome goals. Um, but there's factors that are beyond us. And what was beyond me at this point was that Kazakhstan had been a part of USSR and it was breaking apart and now it was becoming its own country. And of course, the Peace Corps did not want to send volunteers to go there during a volatile time frame. Right. So I went back home to Colorado and I spent some time volunteering. I volunteered at the cross country with the cross country team that I had run for in high school. The coach of that team was my calculus teacher. And while I was doing that, thinking about what, what might I want to do? I, you know, I'm mulling this over, talking with my parents, and they're like, well, you were going to teach 
in Kazakhstan, what about teaching science? Like you're going to teach English, which isn't really your field of study, but you could do it. Uh, what, but what if you taught science here in the United States where they could use teachers? And I thought, yeah, why not? I looked at schools. I wanted to get back to Washington because I'd also fallen in love. So my boyfriend at the time was back in Washington. So I applied to schools there and was accepted into a winter quarter program that I could jump into and, you know, become a science teacher. So I, I become a science teacher and I'm, I haven't given up on the space dream, but it's definitely taken a back burner um, because I'm now, you know, in a different career field and it doesn't seem like a direct path anymore. About four years in, I start to like think, well, I've really enjoyed teaching, but I would like to be an astronaut or I would like to to see what it's like to do advanced geology. So I started looking at graduate schools, but we had a lot of students at my school that were not making it out of high school. We unfortunately had about a 50% attrition rate, which just Goodness. felt awful to me. It, um, we were an inner urban school. We had a lot of challenges. And so a couple of teachers and I said, you know, we've got to ha have classes that can help them recapture their science credits what can we do? And of course, I know that space is like super exciting to people of all ages. So we created these courses and in that astronomy class, I had I had a unit on human space flight. And one of my students asked like, how do you go to the bathroom in space? And I was like, <laughs> I don't know, you know, I don't remember studying that really when I was back at space camp. And I kind of had an idea of what I would want the space toilet to look like, but I, just, <laughs> I didn't know. So I went home that evening to look it up. So right about this time that I'm looking it up, I'd also been looking at, you know, graduate schools and just interested in getting back to my dream of space. Well, lo and behold, as I'm looking this up on the answer, of course, on NASA website, at the bottom is like this little ticker going across the screen that says they're hiring teachers, specifically science and or math teachers as part of the astronaut class of 2004. What? They're hiring teachers? Like, what? This is crazy. So, of course, I find out how you go to the bathroom in space because it was really important to me to answer that student's question. But in answering that question, then, of course, then I, like, delve into, well, how how can I apply to this? For 2004, then, this would have been the Educator Mission Specialist Program, right? That's right. And that That's was right. the, the successor to the Teacher in Space Program that mm -hmm. was Krista McAuliffe. Yes, they wanted to still have teachers as part of the program, but to go through the full training. So Krista and, Bar and Barbara Morgan, who was Krista McAuliffe's backup, went through an abbreviated training before the Challenger flight. And this was going to be that the, the um, educator astronaut would come in and go through the full up training. Right. So I just was reading about this. And of course, like any astronaut application, it's a very big application. I go into my classroom every day to tell my students to dream big and to work towards their goals. Why wouldn't I demonstrate that exact process? And right. so that's why I applied. We shouldn't ever stop dreaming at whatever age we're at. I can't imagine what it's like to get a phone call that says, hey, guess what? You're going to space. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> 
train like an astronaut and get lost in space at the U.S. Space and Rocket Center. Exclusive family weekend programs are available to try your hand at piloting the shuttle and is based on both the past and the future of space exploration. Pilot the space shuttle and attempt to land safely with the museum shuttle experience. Your team of up to four participants must work together to land the shuttle and bring the crew safely home. Museum admission is required. Find out available times, prices, and more at rocketcenter.com and get ready to blast off. had to report to the Johnson Space Center, um, I think like June 4th. And that meant I wasn't going to finish the school year. So I prepped three weeks of sub plans as I left. And then my husband, who is, like I said, is a history teacher, then he helped sell our house and we moved, you know, move us down to um, Houston, Texas. So <laughs> no, I didn't even finish the school year. <laughs> Um, much of the training um, is for preparing you to fly in a space vehicle. Um, but when we were coming in, the vehicle was the shuttle, obviously, and it had been going for a little over 20 years. It had been launching into space. And so there's a history of how you prepare. Some of it is rooted in those early, you know, Mercury, Gemini, Apollo training. So we have some of that piece. And then, of course, some of it is very specific uh, to what you're going to be doing on a shuttle. So that takes about a year and a half to do all of those things and to graduate. How accurate was your was your space camp time? Oh, you know, actually, it, it's pretty awesome what space camp can do with just a couple of hours. And, you know, it's not the, the most high fidelity, but that's not the point, right? Like, you're getting to be in a simulator, you're learning how to follow scripts, you're learning how to follow checklists, you're learning how to exit a checklist when there's a malfunction. Right. And so there's some really, really important steps that you learn there that while they don't look exactly like the real vehicle or the real mission control are very valuable and make it accurate in that this is what you would have to learn how to do, but at a much de more detailed level. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm always impressed. I mean. One of my favorite things I did at space camp was um, I got to be a scientist. And so some of my time was spent in a, a science hab habitat um, in the back of the shuttle doing experiments, which, you know, we have people living and working in space right now and doing experiments and talking about what you're doing and communicating. And then I also got to go out and be in a spacewalk. And, you know, and that was just so awesome uh, being on that air bearing floor, um, remembering that you have multiple degrees of freedom, remembering that you need to tether or like I accidentally forgot to tether at one point and I'm like floating back from the vehicle <laughs> and, that, and that good reminder that no, you always have to be aware of your safety tether. So um, Space Camp does a lot of really cool things in a, an abbreviated amount of time to get kids thinking again like i said to get them thinking about like what what are the steps that you need to take to be a part of these projects and uh it's pretty i think it's pretty awesome you were chosen to go on sts 131 uh, correct that was aboard the shuttle discovery that's right what is it like to actually be the person sitting in the chair when the rumbling of the engine starts and the whole world starts to vibrate? Uh, 
uh, and it gets loud and, and I would think all of the excitement and fear and, and, and history and responsibility and, and everything kind of would start to wash over you. What are those moments like? We had a really early morning launch. We launched at around 6 a.m. on uh, East Coast time, which meant we were waking up the day before about 8 p.m. So it, it was dark when we drove out in the, the Astro van the, <laughs> to the <laughs> launch pad. It's really dark and you, it's beautiful when you see the lights shining up on Discovery, um, highlighting it. And it feels really surreal. That morning, is that the first time that that the crew actually is ever really in the real discovery? No, we get a chance to do a, a TCDT. So we go out and do a countdown practice in the vehicle. So it's not our first time. And so that we've had a chance to, to actually kind of do like a dress rehearsal okay. of that day. And of course, as we were getting ready to fly, we knew that the program was coming to an end. So also part of our job was to say thank you and goodbye to all these very talented engineers and um, the people that had worked, some of them their whole lives out at the Kennedy Space Center. Driving up to the vehicle is still like in awe of it, but you have practiced, you know what you're doing to get up there. I was the last person to get loaded in. So I had some time to just be out on the um, the stand by myself. And I was kind of looking back to like where I know my family and my friends are. Um, you know, I, my daughter was three at that time. So I knew where my husband and daughter were, my mom and dad. And as, it made me really grateful. I thought about all the people that I loved and how really special that they had helped me. And then they got to be there on this big day for me. Uh, then I got loaded in and then it, it starts to get very real as to, you know, you're on a countdown and there's a little bit of time to kind of rest in your seat, but I did not take a nap. <laughs> I, you know, you're like, you're resting, you're breathing deep, but like you're also still anticipating um, when the checklist and when these checks start happening. And then they start happening. It's, it's like the simulator. Um, and so it's, it's, that feels good. You're like, yeah, we've done this. It's like the simulator. This is a real day. <laughs> and then it's like, oh my gosh, like the, you know, we're coming in that we're starting to, the APUs, the auxiliary power, power units that help with um, the hydraulics and all this stuff. And it's like, oh my gosh, like this is getting really real. And, and then when the real stuff happens, it's that can't be simulated. So that is incredible. It's just like the most incredible punch into your back. And suddenly you're shaking, the vehicle's shaking, everything is vibrating um, because this is so much energy. You are traveling on this wave of energy away from the launch pad. There's pretty cool audio from our launch, but like all of us kind of get this like funny giggle, like, wow. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and our commander says, well, that was something, you know, or kind of like something <laughs> like that. And I'm like, yeah, that's crazy. I mean, it just felt crazy energy. Um, and the next two and a half minutes or two minutes and 20 seconds, when you're riding the solid rockets, it does feel like you're on a wooden roller coaster. You're shaking and vibrating. Um, and then they c- come off and it suddenly becomes this really smooth 
ride on the main engines. And uh, of course, you're going to accelerate, and that's going to you're going to start to pull the three Gs back to your chest, and then right. you start to feel heavy, and it starts to get kind of annoying. Um, <laughs> you know, it feels incredible, and then all of a sudden, the engine shut off, and you float up into your seatbelt, and then. You're like, oh my gosh, I'm in space. And there's all these things I have to do. Cause like as mission specialists too, we've got people that need to take camp photos of the ET tank. So I'm like getting helmets, I'm getting gloves from people. Plus making sure I'm scanning stuff too, that, you know, make sure, you know, we really have shut down correctly and all this stuff. So there's a lot going on. And a few, like a minute or two later, I could finally kind of like, just think and look out the window and we're like, we're over. England like this is just crazy like we were just sitting in Florida and I'm now looking down on full sunlight you know right we're launching in dawn and now it's full daylight and it's just like unfathomable it's amazing (laughs) (laughs) what was being on the International Space Station yeah, we were over on the International Space Station for 11 days, kind of, you know, floating. It becomes all one big vehicle when you're docked because um, then the docking port is open. And I would work on the days that I, um, I didn't do the spacewalks, but I was the the intervehicular member. So on those days, I would actually work in the shuttle because I um, had a whole setup where I had camera views um, and I had two comm channels and all my checklists. So I kind of set up in the cockpit of the shuttle as like my headquarters for the the spacewalks. Um, But the other days, our job was to be a mover. So we had brought up six tons of equipment. And then also our job is to help clean up trash or to pick up equipment that's no longer in use that can be studied and understood for like wear and tear or, you know, how to build better equipment. Um, So it's, it's a... It's really choreographed because unlike here on Earth where you can just set down a box and it will stay on the ground, (laughs) of course you have to have a spot for everything in space. But the space station is awesome because it is big. And um, at this time, uh, the modules that had been brought up before us, um, including the Japanese modules, the GEM, that was brand new. It, you know, it smelled new. It was pristine. <laughs> and the European Space Agency's model module, um, that's Columbus. And it was, you know, getting all these um, experiments going. And uh, the lab, to me, did kind of at first smell like a laboratory. And then that kind of goes away because, you you know, it just kind of your nose is like used to it. But when we first floated through, I was like, this does kind of smell like a lab. <laughs> so yeah, that first day of coming in, it's kind of surreal. Like you, you've been in the shuttle for three days. You, you know, you can make that, that volume, which seems small. Um, you can really make it work in 3D, but then suddenly you're going into this big international space station. And you're like, wow, I don't have to like, you know, move out of the way for people or like share the space. Like I can be in a module all by myself at times. Wow. And it's just, surreal that mission was the it was the longest flight that discovery ever took uh oh, it was that's cool yeah it was <laughs> I it was i don't think i realized that well this is just the stuff that i <laughs> that I, right. I did some research I believe you. you were the the last seven person crew of a space shuttle it was the final crew that had rookies on it they considered it a night launch because of, it was so early. Yeah. It was the last mm-hmm. night launch of a shuttle. Uh, and it was the last time that uh, a shuttle went up with, with three women. And it was mm-hmm. the f- and when you got to the ISS, it was the first time there were four women in space. 
I guess it's really cool to me because as a little girl, when I started thinking about space, Sally Ride becomes the first American woman to fly in space. And I'm like a third grader. And I never really, you know, at, at that age, I never really thought I would be in space and let alone like, right, like that we're gonna have three other women. Right. And it's also really cool because it it's not a record that anyone set out to do. It's just four independently working women who are selected for flights and fortuitously end up together in space working because we can all do the jobs that we need to do. Right. Um, and I, I like to point that out to people and we'll continue to to see and I look forward to that record being smashed but um yeah I just thought it, I mean it was just awesome to be working together and to have gone from being a little girl seeing the first American woman I really point out as American woman because of course 20 years prior Valentina Tereshkova right. flies but we were not we weren't talking about her you know I didn't grow up I didn't know that women had been in space I right. thought Sally Ride was for the longest time the first <laughs> woman in space so it also talks about how we talk about our history. What is coming back like? Does it feel like falling? No, it does not feel like falling. But um, and in fact, uh, it doesn't, you don't feel a lot until um, pretty close to the end as you're going to actually start pulling the um, some G's. In the beginning, actually, when you do your burn, you're burning into your velocity vector, right? Because you've been going... Um, your 17,000 miles per hour, you know, and, and then now you've got to slow that down. There's all these steps that we're going through. And then you want to start seeing the right cues. At the same time, again, something that can't really be simulated is even though they show the, the color glow of plasma, is actually looking out the window and seeing the plasma. And that makes you, it made me feel very vulnerable. It made me realize like, holy cow, we are, it is hot out there. Like that is dangerous. We did lose Columbia and it's during this time that we would be losing Columbia. And, and that's still in our mind too. Um, even though we knew that our vehicle was safe, we've done these checkouts with our robotic arm and sent right. all the imagery back and engineers have cleared the vehicle. It's still it's, um, present in your mind. Um, about the vulnerability of entry as well. We asked if we could do a descending node. So a lot of times the crews would come up the South American coast, cross over Central America, and then come into Florida and land. But Discovery had um, some scratches on the window that would light up if we were coming that direction and make it harder for uh, the commander to land. So we asked if we could do a descending node um, which brought us in over Canada, across the center of the United States, and then coming into Florida. And um, that was awesome. It was beautiful to come down once you're through the plasma and look out the window and see the Rocky Mountains and then come across the Mississippi uh, River Valley and then into Florida, um, like coming down Daytona Beach and then in. It goes by really fast, too. <laughs> <laughs> starts to feel really compressed at the end. I mean, it's about, I think about a 40 minute process. Then you start to squash down in your seat. And that's because of course you haven't been making yourself sit up against one G. <laughs> and we, we pull two Gs as we come in on the heading alignment cone. Yeah, it's just really crazy. Um, and 
and yet really beautiful too, its own beauty. And like I said, it, it has this more, I think because it's more prolonged and you're watching and it's not all so surreal of like the shaking and everything, like um, it just makes you feel a little bit more vulnerable and realize like the seriousness of coming home. Like there really is a gravity to it. Right. No pun intended, I guess. <laughs> a little bit of a pun. <laughs> Experience Dare to Explore Milestones to Mars, the all-new exhibit sponsored by Lockheed Martin at the U.S. Space and Rocket Center. Dare to Explore Milestones to Mars takes visitors on a six-decade journey of space exploration and looks at the innovation that has prepared humans to land on the moon and go beyond. Especially designed for young visitors with school groups and families, this exhibit includes interactive displays and activities that demonstrate how we will live and work in space. This experience is included with your U.S. Space and Rocket Center general admissions. Visit rocketcenter.com for tickets today. Becoming an astronaut is going to be different than becoming a space tourist, but I'm excited that both can happen. It, It makes it seem like more available. My advice would always be to do the the things that you are interested in that spark your curiosity, right? My curiosity was always sparked by looking up and looking down and digging in the dirt. Um, But do the things that make you curious, the things that um, challenge you. It was, science was not uh, the easy route for me and I had to work really hard at it, but I liked it for that reason. And don't be afraid to ask for help. Uh, again, that's why that special moment when I'm standing outside waiting to be loaded into the vehicle and looking back at the, the Kennedy Space Center area and thinking about like all the people that helped me get there um, from teachers, par- of course, my parents um, to my husband and um, and then all the trainers, just a multitude of people that it took to get me into space. So. Again, I'd reiterate, like, do the things that make you curious and that you're passionate about. Don't expect not to work hard. You have to work very hard, but enjoy the challenge and and re- recognize that it's okay to ask for help and find all those people that can help you along the way. I've got a spaceship that I'm waiting for. I'm flying up to the stars. I'm gonna dare to explore this time and I'll let